summer series on the book of 1 Peter. And today we're going to be looking at the first chapter, verses 1 through 12. And as we look at these particular verses, it begins with the greeting, but then also goes into this great gift that we have been given, that God has chosen us to be his children, and that we have received this great inheritance. And uh, so as I'm preaching on this series, I invite you to grab your Bibles and uh, your journals, if you take notes in a journal, grab a pen or a pencil, and um, as we work through this, this first chapter, this first half of the chapter, um, what I'd like you to do is also, if you're um, able to do this, um, if there's something that connects with you, it's helpful for me to, to see your heart. And if there is something that's confusing to you, you can put the frown face up. Uh, but as we work through this, uh, this book, um, those kinds of responses will help me in terms of knowing where I want to uh, try to delve a little bit deeper. So you've got a little work to do here with me this morning. And uh, so I pray that, uh, that this will be a blessing to you. Uh, I know this very beginning has been a blessing for me. Um, let's read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad and joyful. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious and an expressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. 
They were told their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Privileged recipients of God's grace. I, I remember I had just turned 16 years of age and I had received that cultural identification that I was now becoming a young adult. It was called my driver's license. And uh, I, I'll, I'll remember this story for as long as I live because it was one of those moments in time. I can still recall this this experience as if it happened yesterday. I had left the high school, went to my house. My mom needed some errands run downtown. So being the new driver, I volunteered to run the errands for her, which she gladly accepted uh, my offer. So I got into the 1964 Jetstar 88 that my brothers and I shared and uh, I began to drive downtown. And I was going down one of the hills that leads into town, and um, as I was driving down that hill, uh, before the stoplight at the bottom of the, of the hill, there was another flashing yellow light, and it was always flashing yellow unless somebody was trying to cross the street, what was very rarely ever, and that would turn red. And I remember driving um, up into that intersection and realizing that there was a police officer parked, his car was parked on the, um, on the corner, and it looked like he had a radar gun. Now back then, radar guns looked more like a shoebox, and uh, so you could see them readily pointed out the window. And so my eyes immediately went to the speedometer in front of me on the car, and I began to see if I was speeding and watching myself, um, making sure that I wasn't speeding. And then as I saw that I wasn't speeding, I looked back up after driving through the intersection and uh, came to the stoplight down below, and it was red. So I stopped. The two cars in front of me had also stopped. And then all of a sudden, the patrolman pulled up right next to us, and he signaled for not just that front car and not just the second car, but also for me to pull over. So my heart began to race. I pulled over, and he began with the first car, and I could see he was lecturing them and writing out a ticket, this young woman, probably in her 20s. And uh, then I remember seeing one of the seniors in school. I was a lowly sophomore at this point, and I remember seeing one of the seniors in his hotshot Barracuda. He was the one right in front of me, and uh, he started talking to the officer, and I could watch him. He was also getting a ticket. And my, my heart was in my stomach at this point. I thought, what am I going to tell my, my mom and my dad? Um, this is such um, a disobedient act that I am in trouble with the law. And, and so I waited. I was wishing that he would have started with me because it was eating me up inside. And finally, the other two had gone away, and he came to me and I rolled down my window, and he took my license, and he looked at it, and he said, Stephen, he says, 
I know your family, and I know that you didn't mean to, ride, to drive through the red light. See, I thought I had been speeding all along, and here I was so focused on the speedometer that I drove through a red light. And so he said, I know your family, and I know you didn't mean to drive through the red light, so I'm just going to give you a warning today. Oh, what a relief. I can remember thinking how, how much joy I had experienced at that moment because I was the privileged recipient of grace. Even though I had committed a violation of the law, even though I had committed a sin, the lawgiver gave me grace. That is what Peter is saying when he says that we are privileged recipients of God's grace and mercy. This letter is about that gift and what we plan to do with it. And it begins as it concludes with a blessing. And when it when, it when, when we experience that blessing, what we're experiencing in the beginning is like an invocation. It's like a calling upon God in thankfulness for the blessing. In the end, it's like a benediction being sent out into the world with this blessing. So Peter begins and he ends this letter with a blessing. And as he blesses God in the beginning for what God has done, he also blesses God for what God continues to do. Peter blesses you, and he blesses all who are in Christ Jesus. Now, as we begin here, I want you to take note of something, is that Peter has divided this, this first section of, of chapter 1 into three sections. And it correlates, these sections correlate um, with verse 2. Let's read through verse 2 once again. Um, if I can find my reading glasses here, that's uh, in my contacts. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. So God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit, his spirit has made you holy. So God the Father chose you. The Holy Spirit has made you holy. Your obedience is a gift of the Spirit. And as a result, uh, of your obeying him, you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So Peter begins by reminding us in this second verse of the three sections that he is going to address. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the God the Father section will be referred to in verses 3 through 5. So if you want to make a little mark in your Bibles for verses 3 through 5, those refer to God the Father. If you uh, want to know the section about Christ Jesus, that is verses 6 through 9. And then the verses that will relate to the Holy Spirit are verses 10 through 12. Now, in our baptism because that's what we're really talking about here, is the gift of baptism. That's how we experience this gift of new life. In our baptism, we renounce our former way of life. But it sounds 
different for us today. You see, this letter is addressed to Jewish Christians who have been dispersed into Asia Minor, which would be current-day Turkey. And these Jews ended up as refugees, illegal aliens in this region, and most likely they were chased out of the prominent cities, um, anywhere from Antioch to Rome. All these Roman cities would have chased them out into the countryside uh, because of their, of their faith in Jesus. The Romans uh, were persecuting the Jews and the Christians, and uh, so many of the people that were new converts to Christianity, to following Christ, were experiencing um, this uh, persecution. Now, if they had come from a Christian family, let's say that, um, that they had come from a family that knew Jesus or had been believers in Jesus, at the most, when Peter's letter was written, there would probably have been at the most one or two generations. So it would have been like your parents who became believers or your grandparents who became believers, but um, there would have been uh, no one before that. And so when you talk about renouncing your old way of life, um, the pagan way of life, which is uh, just a descriptive way of saying um, that they didn't have a distinct belief in a God, in the God, but they had beliefs in multiple gods and idols and um, astrologers and whatever. Um, and so um, what, what the pagans had turned from was that old way of life into believing in one God who is three in one. That is different from my family experience. My dad's generation of Christianity goes back eight generations here in the United States alone. Now, that's counting our grandchildren. Um, I don't know if that's fair or not, but I'm counting them. So it's eight generations that my dad's family goes back, and they just immigrated here in the 1860s. So um, that is significant because there is a much longer heritage of Christian faith in my dad's family that goes back into Europe. So when we take a look at um, renouncing our old, our former way of life, it's much more difficult for me to think about what they were talking about because my former way of life is the same way of life that I'm living today. And so the, uh, the old pagan life is what they would have been referring to, is what they have uh, disbanded from, that they have left. And uh, so um, when we talk about renouncing that old way of life, we have a little bit different way of talking about it. And it comes in our service of holy baptism. It's one of the questions that I ask the parents and the sponsors before uh, we baptize the child. And it's a question that I ask adults when I baptize them. Do you renounce the devil in all of his works? Now, in our new uh, hymnal, the service of baptism goes into a little more depth with this. It says this, do you renounce the devil in all the forces that defy God? And then the response is, I renounce them. Do you renounce the powers of this world that rebel against God? And again, your response then would be, I renounce them. And the third one, do you renounce the ways of sin 
that draw you away from God. And again, we say, I renounce them. So this is a much more comprehensive uh, worldview of the renunciation. And from my perspective, it's, it's helpful because it includes the power of Satan, the power of the devil, but it also includes our sinfulness. Are we ready to leave that, our sinful past? And it also includes um, the, the middle one, which is the renunciation of, of the world forces and powers that rebel against God. And so that means that our values may not be in alignment with the world's values and that we renounce that. We renounce those earthly values when they conflict with God's values. Now, the priceless inheritance that the Scripture refers to is this gift of grace, the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life. Literally, it is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. We renounce the past because we are now people of a living hope and we have hope because when we think about our hope, our hope is not in our own ability. Our hope is in God's ability to make a difference in our life. And that is what God has done. First Peter is saying <clears throat> that he has chosen you. And in, in your baptism, you have been called by God. You've been chosen by God and sent forth by God. The Holy Spirit lives in you and is waiting again and again for us to be reawakened by his living word because he is our good, good father. I invite you to listen as we sing or you can sing along to good, good father.
good, good Father who has chosen us, who has chosen you and called you by name and has given you this imperishable gift of salvation. And the reason we renounce our past, the reason we renounce our sin and the powers and the forces of evil is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the gift that God the Father has given us is his son, Jesus. And what we are being instructed by Peter with here is an understanding that as followers of Jesus that we will experience trials and even suffering. In verse 6, he says, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Now, Peter doesn't want you to think that because you are suffering, that you have a failure of faith, that your faith is inadequate. It's just the opposite of that. Uh, opposite of that. Because of your faith in Jesus, you will experience suffering. But he says that suffering is to be looked at in the context of your faith. Your faith is precious and firm. It is like gold being refined. Like gold when being purified as it undergoes intense heat. Even though your faith is far more precious than gold, Peter says. For Christians, suffering may be an unavoidable outcome. If we truly listen to God and follow him, there'll be times in our lives when we experience suffering. For as you have responded in faith, you are at the same time 
becoming alienated from the values of an unbelieving world. And that will result in suffering. They love Jesus, it says, even though they did not see him. They believed in Jesus. They trusted Jesus without even now seeing him. So they didn't see him a generation, two, three generations ago. They didn't see him today. And yet, they believe in him, they trust in him, and they love him. They walk by faith, not by sight, which is in contrast to one of the apostles. If you remember the resurrection story in uh, John chapter 20, where Jesus appears to his disciples, and Peter obviously would have remembered this because he would have been there in the room when Thomas had been missing the week before when Jesus first appeared and when his apostles, friends, told him about Jesus appearing, he said he didn't believe it and he wouldn't believe it until he could see Jesus for himself and put his fingers into his hands and into his side. And then a week later, Jesus appears again, this time with Thomas in the room. And Jesus tells Thomas to come and to put his finger into his hands and to place his hand in the wound of his side. And then he says this to Thomas, don't be faithless any longer. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's what Peter is recalling as he writes this letter to these Christians dispersed into Asia Minor. What he is telling them is that beautiful verse, you love him even though you have not seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, you believe him, and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting the reward for faith is the salvation of our souls. Now this is true joy. So we have God the Father, we have Jesus the Christ, and now we have the Holy Spirit. And what Peter is saying is that we are more privileged than even the prophets and the angels. Oh my, I mean it would have been a tough job, but oh to be a prophet, to have the words of Isaiah attributed to you, to have the words of Jeremiah or Ezekiel attributed to you. What a great honor that would be. But what Peter is saying is that your greatness is even far beyond that because of your faith, because of your trust, because you believe in Jesus. We trust in what the prophets had hoped that they would see. But Peter reminds us that what they spoke was not for themselves, but it was for you, it was for me. 
And then he, he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that we experience what the angels wanted to see. In the very last verse, verse 12, they were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. This is refer referring to the prophets. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. They're watching them in actual time. Maybe it's God's form of streaming. I don't know. But as we think of these words from Peter, what we're reminded is that the good news has been brought to us and has been brought to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So friends, remember that you are privileged like me because you have been chosen by God. You have been called God's elect. You are the ones whom God loves. And because he loves you, he has called us into ventures unknown, some of which will cause us to suffer. But our suffering is not a representation of our lack of faith. Our suffering is because of our faith, because we are no longer in alignment with this world. We are now becoming realigned with God, with who God is, and with what God values. So as we reflect on this reading, as privileged recipients of God's mercy and grace, we are so thankful. Next week, we will take the second part of 1 Peter and we'll begin to look at what has God now called me to do after giving me this life-giving gift. Vokari, your call, your summons. Join us next week as we take a look at that question. Amen.